0: Well, good morning and welcome to Bankery Christian Fellowship Church on this, the 31st of July 2022. My name's Adrian, and it's my privilege to be one of the elders here, so I welcome you. Um, and if you're a regular here, that's lovely to see you. If you're a visitor here, it's lovely to see you, whether you be in the church or whether you be listening in online this morning. A, a welcome to you all. Thank you for being here gathered in the name of Jesus, a church together here at Bankery. We'll be reading from Haggai chapter two, verses 12, uh, 10 to 23. If you, have, if you don't have a Bible in front of you, uh, they're on the inside page of the notices. Haggai 2, 10, okay. thank you.
1: On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priests answered and said no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with the dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priests answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month. Since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, o, o Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts.
0: Thank you, Marigold. Thank you very much. Thanks, Adrian. Uh, and good morning, everybody. It's, it's great to, to be together again and looking at God's word. But just before we open it together, can I pray? God and Father, we thank you that you speak to us. And we, we don't deserve that great privilege that you should speak to us. But Lord, we, we believe that as we open your word this morning, it is you who is speaking. And we pray that your voice would be very clear to us this morning. And help us to respond in the way that you would have us respond. By the power of your Spirit, would you be at work in us this morning? Amen. So, we, we turn to the second half of our very brief study in the, the book of Haggai, um, this fairly obscure little prophet towards the end of our Old Testament. Um, and just as a, a way of recap, just so we're grounded and we know where we're at, um, Haggai speaks to, to God's people who had returned from exile in Babylon. Um, They had been there for many, many years, and when the Persian Empire overthrew the Babylonians, King Cyrus sent God's people home so that they could go and reestablish this place of worship in Jerusalem. They could build the altar and build the temple and and rebuild their lives. So the year is, is now 520 BC, and it's some 18 years after the people had returned to the place of Jerusalem. They had begun well. Uh, They they began the building of the, the altar and that was established the year that they returned. But then opposition arose and they became disillusioned and the building project just ground to a halt. So 16 years have passed and not a stone has been lifted to build God's house. And last week we looked at the first chapter and the first nine verses of the second chapter under the title of God's building plan, because Haggai came to speak to the people to get them back to doing what they were supposed to be doing, building God's kingdom. They got distracted. Their priorities were in other places. They were building their own houses. But, but Haggai calls them to repent of that and to, to come back and to, to build God's temple. And so Haggai's message is incredibly effective, we see. They do what they were supposed to be doing, and they, they come together, stirred by God, and they come together as one to, to build the temple. And that's where we left it last week, that the people had, had re, restarted this building of the temple. This week we're we're looking at the, the verses that Marigold kindly read for us. Um, the, the last two messages that Haggai gives. And we're we're gonna look at it under the title of God's blessing promised, because that's really what we see from this, this last part of the book. God's blessing is promised, and it's, it's promised to somebody, and it's promised through somebody. Um, in the first message we have, it is, is promised to an undeserving people. Um, and the the date of the, the, the uh, messages, they both come on the very same day, in fact, these two messages. In verse 10 of chapter 2, we see on the 24th day, the ninth month in the second year of Darius. This is the king of Persia at the time. Uh, this this date is, is significant. It's the, the three-month anniversary from the day that the people began building, when they obeyed Haggai's words. It's three months since that date that we read earlier in, in the book of Haggai. Um, it's also the 18th of December, 520 BC, for those who are interested. Um, but the time of year is actually significant when we, when we look through it because it tells us where it was in the, the calendar for, for harvest, especially, which is, is significant when we come to the, 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 um, the end of these verses about the undeserving people being blessed. Um, so we see 16 years have passed. 16 years have passed. The temple... Had been neglected, but now the people had returned. And Haggai comes with a message and he comes with a a question for the priests. You see that there in in verse 11 of chapter 2. And and he has a a question for the priests. Uh, It's a a question with rhetorical intent because he kind of knows what the answer is going to be. Uh, But nonetheless, he he goes to the priests and he asks them this question. if somebody is carrying meat that is holy, that is consecrated in the fold of his garment, and that, that fold touches some other food, is that holiness somehow transferred onto this other food? And the priests answer, no, it's not, it's not transferred. And he, he asks a similar question, almost the reverse. He says, well, if, if somebody who has, who has touched a dead body and is, and is thus defiled— is unpure and unclean, if they then touch this food, is it also made unclean? And the answer is, well, yes. This, this holiness isn't transferred onto the unholy thing, but this uncleanness is transferred onto that which was otherwise clean. There is a, a point that Haggai is making here, and in, in verse 14, he tells us what the point is. He says, this people here, in front of me. This people, this nation is just like that. What they offer and what they do is unclean. Now, we've got a a bit of a conundrum here. Is he speaking in the past tense to this people? Because he's speaking to this people who, who at one time had disobeyed him and ignored his worship, but are now Back at the task of building the temple. Is Haggai speaking and is the Lord speaking about this people in the past tense? Were they once unclean, but now they have turned to Him and become clean? It seems as though that's certainly a possibility. And I think in part that's true because there is a turning point here. We see that the turning point is this this 24th day of the ninth month in verse 18 the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, there seems to be a turning point here where God deals with the people differently. So indeed, I think we can say that the people were unclean in the days that they neglected completely God's worship. And then they come and they build, and they, in their building of the temple, they demonstrate something. They demonstrate a repentance. And I think we, we, we can say with relative certainty that the people display a true repentance here, that they, in building God's temple, are not just doing external things. What they are doing here reflects their very heart of love and worship for God. They have been corrected. And and I say that with, with more confidence because Haggai isn't the only prophet who speaks at this time to the people. If you were to flick over a page in your Bible, you'd come to Zechariah. And the opening verses of Zechariah, he comes with a message. And his message is also quite precisely dated to just a matter of weeks before this one we're talking about right now in Haggai. And he says that if the people return to the Lord, he will return to them. And we read down in that opening chapter, and it appears that the people do indeed respond in repentance and belief, unlike their forefathers who had neglected God's warnings before. But we have this question here, they were unclean and their offerings towards him is unclean. How can an unclean people come to God? There is a problem that is presented to us here. How can an unclean people offer something that is clean? And, and the answer, I think, in the negative is that we are not made clean merely by association. We cannot just come close to the things of God, to the the temple rebuilding even. There may well have been people who were involved in the task of working on the rebuilding of the temple in God's work, but had not truly repented in their hearts. And merely being associated with people who were repentant is not enough. Merely being involved in the activities of a church is not enough to make us clean. Merely being associated with the things of of Christianity and of of religion is not enough to make us clean. We cannot wash ourselves clean by mere external works. And and we, we see that the heart, the heart is really what is aimed at here. The heart is the thing that God comes to change. It is from our heart that, that evil comes and it is our heart that needs to be changed so that we can act in a way that is pleasing to God. God is not pleased with mere external religion, with, with duty without relationship. You see the people, they had built the altar and they were offering sacrifices at an altar within a stone's throw of a ruined temple. They came to God, it seems, in a way that that recognized they, they needed to appease God in some way for their own sin. But they didn't worship God with their hearts. They had an altar with no temple. And so this people, they didn't love God in the way that they ought to love God. The, the the altar without the temple, it's it's akin to, to having religion without relationship. There is this duty and this coming to God, but there is no love of God. And and how often does that characterize us? That we we, we come to God merely to to get forgiveness, but we, we do not love Him as we ought. There's a there's a quote that's attributed to um, an old German poet, Heinrich Hein, in the, in the 1700s, and, and I don't know if this is apocryphal or if it's true or not, but he was asked apparently on his deathbed by a priest, will God forgive you of your sins? And he responded flippantly, of course he will. It's his job to do it. And, and isn't that how we, we think of God sometimes? It's just his job to forgive sins. That's how we relate to him. It's a transactional thing. But God doesn't want transaction. He wants relationship. And so we see this people who are unclean. We see how they fared in the days that they neglected God. We see from verse 15 to verse 17 that these people were were unsatisfied when they were on repentance. Um, They they worked hard to satisfy themselves in in material ways. But it says, you know, when you came to, to gather in, what you thought you would get. It just didn't satisfy. You didn't get what you expected. Um, when you came to a heap of, of 20 measures, there were but 10. You came to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. It didn't satisfy. And, and that dissatisfaction was actually there to serve a purpose. It was there so that they would turn away from these things that didn't satisfy and turn to someone who would But the the pronouncement is made in verse 17, yet you did not turn to me. This was what their their forefathers had done. They hadn't turned to God. But now there seems to be a turning point. There seems to be a turning point for this people when they're told to consider from this day onward, the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple is laid, consider. And, And he then says, is the seed yet in the barn And here is where it helps to know what time of year it is. Um, The time of year would have been the harvest, the the late summer harvest had happened for the, the vine, the fig, and the pomegranate, and the olive. These harvests would have come in. But we read that they yielded nothing. They yielded nothing. And the question, is the seed yet in the barn, likely refers to the fact that they would have just sown this seed in the ground. That would have happened in in early December, probably. It's now the 18th of December. Is the seed yet in the barn? Well, the answer is no, it's in the ground, and we're waiting for it to come to harvest. That will be months down the road. You've experienced years upon years of terrible harvests, but the seed is in the ground. You have repented, you have trusted in me. And he says, but from this day on, I will bless you, indicating that they are to expect an abundant harvest, And now, what these people were promised in physical terms, as is so often the case with what we read in the Old Testament, we translate that to spiritual, eternal terms. You know, they would have enjoyed this this great feast as an indication of God's blessing. And it says, interestingly, but from this day on I will bless you. The seed was still in the ground, it hadn't even been harvested yet. So certain is God's word that they could rejoice in his blessing from this day on. They knew it would come to pass. And that is the case for us as Christians. We have a promised blessing that will come to harvest. God promises us every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms in Ephesians. If we trust in Jesus, if we turn from our sin and turn instead to Christ, we have this This blessing of this eternal spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. This is ours in Christ. The people were told from this day on, I will bless you. And then we turn to the second of the messages. We've seen what people God is going to bless. This undeserving people when they repent, when they turn to Him they will be blessed. And and then in this second and final message on this day, we see through whom this blessing will come. So, the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th of the month, and he said, speak to Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel was the, the governor of Judah. He was the man who had been put in charge of ruling this people in this place at this time. But we see, at the start of this book and throughout, the empire of Persia loomed large. They were the ones who were really in charge. Zerubbabel was was the governor there, but he he ruled under the authority of of King Darius. And so he he was not in charge in the way that the, the Jewish people would have liked him to be. He wasn't sovereign, as in fact he ought to have been, because when we when we look at who Zerubbabel is, we find out something that is remarkable and incredibly encouraging. You see, the very fact that Zerubbabel and indeed Joshua, the high priest, exist at this time is evidence that God is still at work with His people, because Zerubbabel is the son of Shealtiel, or the grandson of Jehoiakim, and he was the last king. Before the exile in Babylon. And Jehoiakim, and by extension Zerubbabel, are kings in the line of David. Now, for those of us who who know a little bit about the Old Testament, we know that there are some incredible promises that God makes to his people. And one of those promises was to King David. You look at 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7 and you see this promise that is made. And it is a, a promise that echoes down from that point. Throughout history, he promised to King David that there would be a king on his throne forever, an eternal king, and his kingdom would be established forever, and there would be a kingdom of peace as a result. That was the promise that was given to King David. And every king subsequent to King David was hoped would this be the one? Would this be the one? Would this be God's chosen king to establish his eternal kingdom? and to bring in a kingdom of everlasting peace. Well, he speaks now to Zerubbabel. Haggai speaks to Zerubbabel, who is this son of David in, in the line of this promise. And he says, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. God says, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. And the, the effect of this shaking is to overthrow the kingdoms that had been oppressing God's people. They had been used to being oppressed and being ruled by foreign kings. And God says, I'm going to come and I am going to shake the heavens and the earth to overthrow the throne of kingdoms and to destroy the strength of these these kingdoms and nations who have been oppressing you. Well if we look through to to Hebrews, um, and it's worth flicking across to it, to, to see a bit of an explanation as to what is being said here by Haggai. Hebrews, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26, we have these very verses quoted, and, and the writer to the Hebrews says, at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. And he concludes, therefore, let us be grateful in receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We see here that the promise, the blessing that God promises is that of an unshakable kingdom. When he says, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth, it tells us of the scale and the scope of God's work in all of creation. There is nothing that is going to be untouched by this shaking. Now, this this calls to mind the shaking of the earth on the day that Christ rose from the dead, but it also calls to mind the judgment that will come when Christ comes again. You know, the day that, that Christ died on the cross was the day that His kingdom was announced in power, the day that His judgment upon nations was declared, and the day that our judgment was taken on Him. He took our judgment at the cross so that we can be people who are brought into His kingdom and be people who cannot be shaken. You see, when we remain standing on our own two feet apart from God, we are are anything but unshakable. We are are those who, who actually stand opposed to God, and we stand waiting on the judgment of God, His just and righteous judgment for our sin. But the Bible tells us if we are in Christ, we have our sins fully dealt with. The judgment that is to come, we need not fear. We can stand unshakable on that final day of judgment when Christ comes to shake all things and reveal His unshakable kingdom. We see this, this promise of this unshakable kingdom comes through his authoritative king. We see this, this promise to Zerubbabel in, in verse 23, that my, ser, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, I will make you like a signet ring. And you, you know what this, the signet ring is, don't you? The, the ring that the royal wears, and it, and it bears royal authority. It, it authenticates the words and the, the actions. It comes with a seal. If, if a, a king were to write a letter and seal it with wax, they would use the signet ring to seal it to show that it was their own words. So, when Zerubbabel is promised that he would be like this signet ring, God is promising a king that will come, and he will rule not under the authority of the Persians or the Greeks or the Romans. There would be a king that would come and he would rule under the authority of God. He would come with the authority of God. A king in the line of David would come and he would have authority to to heal, to, to speak God's words, to do God's work. We would see he would come to forgive sins and have the authority to forgive sins. Only God can do this. Only God has that authority. And we see as we look in the New Testament, Christ is this King. Christ is the King who comes to build an unshakable kingdom. He died and He rose and He is coming again to establish it forever. Christ is the King who comes with the authority of God. He doesn't have any Delegated authority. He's not a puppet king. He is a king with real authority, with the authority of God, because he indeed is God. And we see this fulfillment of Haggai's prophecy for Zerubbabel when we look through to to Matthew's gospel. If you look at Matthew and the, the genealogy that he writes for us there, we see. The astonishing fact that this promise made in 520 BC, it comes true for us in the birth of Christ. If you read in Matthew chapter 1, and and kind of cutting in in the middle of this genealogy in verse 12, it says, after the the deportation to Babylon, Jehoiakim was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud. And we continue down through these ancestors and we get to verse 16. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. He is the one who is the delivery, the deliverer. And he delivers this promise to us that Haggai made all those many years ago when Christ was born. When Jesus was born, who is called the Christ, we see this promise disrubbable come true. And it comes true for us today. We who are an undeserving people, we who are in ourselves unclean. We who have no right in ourselves to come near to a holy God because of our sin. We get to come near we get not only to come near but to, to experience God's abundant blessing. And it is because of Christ, because of this, this promised King, He who establishes His eternal, unshakable kingdom and invites us into it. He, he calls us to repent. And repentance, we, we so often mistake it for, for religion, for a religious exercise. But repentance is a posture of heart. Repentance is, is hating our sin and loving Christ. It is loving God. It is turning from all of those things that do not satisfy and turning to Him who ultimately and forever satisfies. And the message of repentance that, that Haggai gives here, it's not pointing back to a one-time thing that you did back then when you started to build the walls. And I think the reason that this message comes now in the building project is to remind the people that how they begin is how they should continue. They began with repentance and they need to continue with repentance because, you know, we so often fall into our old ways, looking back to the things that do not satisfy, forgetting Him who does. We so often need to be called back to this point of repentance, of turning away from the things that are, are sinful and separate us from God and turning again to God and embracing all that He is for us and all that He has done for us in His Son. And, and we need to remember that as Christians, it, it is a, a lifestyle, repentance. Martin Luther, in his, his 95 Thesis, in fact, the very first one, he said that for a believer— The life of a believer should be one of repentance. It's not a a one-time decision. It's a daily posture. It's a daily walk. And so Haggai comes to the people who had begun to repent. They had begun to rebuild. And he says, how you began, you must continue. And that's a message for us today. You know, I don't know where you are this morning in your walk with Christ. I don't know if you know him at all. I don't know if you recognize that only he can satisfy, but, but I pray that this morning you would, you would do what Haggai so often tells his people to do and consider, consider your ways. Think about how you're living and what satisfies and think about who God is. Think about the fact that he is the one who made you and deserves all worship and yet we so easily worship ourselves. There is an invitation for us to repent, to come back to God and to, to ask for forgiveness. And at the cross, we receive forgiveness, because Christ died to make it so, so that we could know Him. as a people who do not deserve it, we can come close to Him, washed clean by His blood. We can come close and be acceptable and accepted by Him. So, this is the the message that Haggai brings to us this morning. God has a blessing for a people who do not deserve it. We simply must repent and return to Him. And it is through Christ, the King, who has an unshakable kingdom, who rules with the authority of God. It is through Christ that we can know that peace and forgiveness we're going to to sing in a little while but before we do can i just close in prayer our god and father we we come to you this morning and and we know that in in our own right we have no right to stand before you to come close to you to to appeal to you for a blessing but We do because you have promised us blessing, not because we deserve it, but because you in your grace and your mercy, you lavish your blessing upon us, and you do it through Christ. You do it through his his death and his resurrection that makes us clean and pure and blameless in your sight. Father, when we wander from you, you, would you draw us back? Would you soften our hearts this morning to to hear you call us. Would Would you draw us away from those things that do not satisfy and draw us closer to you this morning, we pray. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ, the hope that we are your people, that we were brought into your kingdom by the work of Christ, and this kingdom is unshakable. Father, what a promise we have because of you, because of who you are and what you have done for us. Would you accept now of our thanks and our praise as we we close this time together? We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen.